I hope yeah. you can hit on me. Yeah, if you want, I'll just like, we can just talk about it. So like, tell me when we do stuff. Yeah, she's, she's, yeah, she's my buddy, man. She's, uh, she's been real, like, helpful to me here in Australia. Like, she, she knows how the system works here. So it's been good, yeah. She's had to face that as well herself. She's awesome, bro. Yeah, she is. So we can just start now, just even if we just do it as a separate thing. So you do, George, you write your own children's books. Tell us about this, because obviously I've never personally read either of the three. Unfortunately, it's you know, not my age group, 8 to 12 or 6 to 12. So tell us about it. How would you get into writing children's books? What are these three books about? Um, so, yeah, I, I've, I've became a – I'm actually a published author. I'm, um, I became an a author uh, – sorry about that. Even this, my bad. I just this might not even go on the episode. This can just be as a personal post, like you speaking about the book. So yeah. The main thing is, you can just say, uh, "So we're recording. We good? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's we, do we it." So, so we've yeah, done so like five intros before the same time. <laughs> so yeah, I'm um I'm I'm a published author. I became published around 2016, and um I started writing books around 2014. Okay. And um, I actually have three books published from a eight book series. The series is called Childhood Champions. Childhood that sound, Champions, that sounds sick. yeah. <laughs> childhood, <laughs> name, childhood Champions represents um, all ethnic uh, young mm. people that are between the ages of six to nine, mm. and um, they represent the an Arab, uh, African American, a Puerto Rican, Damn. a Malaysian, and an African kid that basically have real life stories and they're all lessons learned in each of the stories. So the stories are not really religiously motivated. Mm. All of the characters happen to be Muslim, mm. but the characters, the stories are really designed to teach life lessons to to young people from that age group. Just Mashallah. positive lessons that talk about brotherhood, um, safety, they promote um, prayer. So what was the reason that you got into like 2014? How old are you then? Like late 30s? What made you want to <laughs> write children's books, you know? Well, um, I, I did notice that there was a lack of diversity at the time when I was into um, creating children's books. There was a lack of diversity that represented um, young Muslim youth that were from the communities that I'm from. Mm. I didn't really see many characters that represented um, African-American young people in children's books. Um, so I wanted to, to, to create something that represented the community of young people that that's diverse from where I'm from because um, it's good to see representation of yourselves in books. Mm. Yeah. What type of life lessons are in it? Because I've realized whenever I watch like Lion King or watch like old Disney movies, yeah. I don't know if you do watch it. I do. But you <laughs> kind of <laughs> see life lessons that's not just for kids but for adults too. And it's like be patient or be steadfast. Something comes like don't let it affect you or don't let your ego grow too big. And it's like that actually affects me now as a 21-year-old, but it's made for a six-year-old. So what kind of life lessons are you trying to teach these kids, you know? Because it's a very sensitive age group, six it to is. nine. It's a good question. Yeah, um, for the most part, I try to um, I, I, I try to be a little more versatile. So some of the things talk about racism. Mm. Um, it talks about um, accepting other people from other ethnic groups and backgrounds. I have a story that I've created that talks about uh, a hijabi that has her hijab pulled off and young people teasing her because she was different. And... Um, her that's eventually, actually, yeah, that's a yeah. So, <laughs> in the story, she eventually teaches the young people the reasons that she wear it. She allowed them to to come home and, and speak with her family and her the, the other kids' parents. So, there was so many lessons in in this particular book that'll be coming out mm -hmm. soon. And so, most of the most of my books are based around life lessons like that. 
Which one was your first book? Can I have a look at it? The first book that uh, I published was No Ordinary Day. No Ordinary Day. Okay. And uh, share share yeah. the camera a bit. Ordinary Day was an interesting one, man. So and what's this one about? So I don't want to give too much. <laughs> away. <laughs> you got to read it. So no, no Ordinary Day was um it was Ooh. based around uh, promoting um that was great uh, promoting the the five young people going to school and mm. and being forced to not forced that's not the best word to use but they were studying Quran and, mm. and they're getting during pushed the to recitation go. of the Quran they mm. were able to. As a reward, they were able to meet a professional soccer player who was a public figure. Uh. And um, through reciting Quran, they won a competition, and they were able to tour the facility for the from the famous soccer player. And he they walked in on him praying, and he was a constant reminder to them to continue to pray. And um, mm. in the end, he actually scored the winning goal and um, pulled his shirt up that said Allah is great. And it was just a lot of... Um, That's like five good things in one book. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, the, yeah, I so the book had quite a few reminders in it to, to pray. It was um, teamwork. It promoted uh, school. It promoted education, study, and Quran. Um, there's a strong Islamic undertone to all of my books, even though they're not religious. Mm. Sure. What yeah. made you like want to start writing a book? You know, Were you always into writing growing up or...? Well, I hold a, uh, a English and psychology degree, so I've always been um, a writer. Yeah. And uh, children's books was one of the furthest things from my mind yeah. until I started to think about how many ways could I give back to our community. I wanted to um, start contributing to the young people, but it was like I wanted to add value. And I knew that I was always good in writing. And as I would just kind of like look around and, and pick up books and – I just gained an interest in children's books and started looking for ethnic characters, Muslim characters, and I, I, I didn't see a um, a large variety at the mm -hmm. time. Now there's there's quite a few Muslim authors, quite a few ethnic characters out there. But at the time, mm -hmm. when I created my characters and came up with the concept Childhood Champions, mm -hmm. I didn't see that. So mm -hmm. that was kind of um, a motivation for me to mm -hmm. create ethnic characters, create real-life stories from... Um, a Western perspectives and real life stories of young people from where I'm from, actually like some of their experiences that that can be universal. Yeah. Um, many of the children's books that I would see that had ethnic characters, most of them were of Arab descent, yeah, exactly. and they were based in like a mosque in the Middle East. And I was like, well, for me, like that doesn't represent where I'm from. Like yeah. I wanted to kind of like have young people to identify, just you know. Um, in, in a major city and just doing things that we do without dressing in um, um, cultural clothing. Mm. So, yeah, so I wanted to just kind of have something for our young people in the Western society. Mm. To they can relate to. With. Yeah, that's what you that's need. You know? relatable. Sometimes, like, it's there's so many different, for example, even Muslim names, but not every book, Muhammad, Ibrahim, yeah, you know, exactly. the prophet's names, but then now you yeah. go Khadija, Aisha for the yeah. sisters, but then now you go see books and it's like different, like I read Hakim in the. It's yeah. like names, like okay, that's different. You know, Ashraf Abdullahi. There's not a lot of books or option books named after us. But now, in the future, when it expands, it's like okay, you can relate. I'm Somali. I'm South African. I'm this. Exactly. It's like okay, even I grew up similar. Even on top of that, like the stereotypes in terms of Muslim countries, like the first things you're gonna think of is like Saudi and the Malaysia, Indonesian, yeah. all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, but then you mentioned Puerto Rico before. Do you know what I mean? And that caught out to me straight. I was yeah. like, Puerto Rico, Muslim. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even though Muslims are like from all over the world. 
but when do you hear about a Puerto Rican Muslim? And that's right. good I've never because met one. Yeah. exactly. But yeah. there is a Puerto Rican Muslim out there who doesn't, who cannot necessarily look up to someone that's from Saudi Arabia or something like that. You know what I mean? That's of Arab descent. Yeah. You know what I mean? So so where I'm from, it's like my community is. But there's a there's a lot of um, people from the Latin community that that make up that percentage of like. Um, I've actually had parents mm. reach out to me and say, wow, you made a, a, a hijabi Muslim that represents my daughter who's Puerto Rican or my daughter who's Dominican or mm. Colombian. So those communities are out there where I'm from. Mm. So I try to represent ethnic communities that are um, not represented as much in, in, in the children's books. Mm. And I actually have two, three new characters that I will be introducing mm. in the, the next few books and the... Uh, they they'll be pretty interesting, yeah. man. So, what's the process like with coming up with a book? Do you do you just write a book in, t- in terms of like a certain story or a j- um like a topic, or do you release it like in terms of segments? In terms of this is occurring and there's going to be like another season. Do you know what I mean? Like seasonal books. Um, no. What I what I do is um, there's a combination of things. Sometimes I I write when things come to mind. I yeah. just write things down until I um. I'll just take notes. I'll just write write some things. Sometimes I'll mix a little bit of real life experiences from uh, a situation that happened in the masjid mm-hmm. or on is an Islamic um, community event where I noticed something with some young people doing some things, and I can create my own storyline off of that. So there's a three or four step process. Sometimes yeah. it's a combination of my own ideas along with things that I've seen in the community the young people mm. are playing together young people having a disagreement with mm. and, and, and trying to um, find a solution or or even just like you know young people studying I just take these things on board and create my own stories yeah. is this like I know you've done some youth work yeah. and this is obviously from like six to nine I think your youth works a bit for older age group is did any of this link together like uh, you saw those kind of gaps in the youth in like where they'll or values, that kind of thing. Like there wasn't a lot of representation. So is that why you kind of started getting into the youth field? Um, no, I think there's um, there's overwhelming representation of, of, of leaders in the communities. Um, I think I just found a unique role. Uh, I felt responsible as a, mm. as a male and as a Muslim, um, as a person who, who, who contributed to destroying my community. I felt that was my responsibility to find ways to add value and give back to my community because for many years I, I promoted things in my community and I've done things in my community that was was destructive and um, mm. it wasn't um, building a positive community. So now you wanted to do the opposite and start yeah. putting value in people's lives. Yeah. And you think like, so you obviously do books for 6 to 9 or how do you try to do that for the older age group? You know, us, some of our audiences like 15 year olds, we have younger siblings, we try to bring value but often as siblings it's difficult. You know, and social media now, it's like a lot of people don't even want to gain beneficial knowledge or kind of, you know, take that advice on taking life more serious or. Because it's the norm nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, Well, my my children's books are actually for six to 12 year olds, but but I use my own personal life experiences to touch um, uh, teenagers and young adults. Mm. I I go to young. I've gone to prisons all over the world. I've gone to orphanages all over the world. Through my childhood champions books, I've been able to build uh, 12 water wells in, in developing countries. Um, I was actually the very first um, Muslim in the state of Victoria to teach uh, drugs and alcohol in the Muslim community specifically. 
So I've sure. gone all around um, the state of Victoria teaching Muslim communities from the Eritrean community to the Lebanese community to the um, um, Somali community. I taught them about substances and, and, and things that are available resources mm. in their communities. I've actually done lectures. I've um, done panel interviews. So basically, I worked as a, um, a, a drug and alcohol advisor and um, youth worker, basically, so mm. to speak, in, in the Muslim community. So there are, there are so many other things that I add value to and bring to for the younger generation. And um, Do you still do that today? Or do I, I haven't done it in, okay. in, in quite some times because um, I, I took a step back because the Muslim community... There's a sense of taboo around certain things like drugs, yeah. sex, um, mm. things like that. So um, to be honest with you, uh, I, I just took a break because um, when I would go to the Muslim community and and teach the community about mm. substance abuse, about um, some of our, our, our young girls, Muslim young women wearing hijab or prostituting, doing ice, these things exist. Like mm. These are things that we shouldn't be silent about. Some of our young brothers are... Um, going to the mass chair, but they have uh, psychosis. They are dealing with um, thoughts of suicide. Mm. Everything is not based around a jinn. And sometimes the, the drugs um, affect our minds and allow us to behave this way. So mm. everyone wants rukia every time something happens. Sometimes things are not... Just pray and it'll go away. Just pray or yeah. just, yeah. Son <laughs> or just send, y send your son back to their homeland country, mm. to Somalia, to Lebanon. That's not always the solution. So what happened is throughout my, um, this is what I did for a living. I was paid to do this, but I sacrificed my time and went to multiple communities um, doing this for free just to try to start educating mm -hmm. our communities. And the backlash for it just became unbearable. It was almost like carrying a refrigerator on my back because it's taboo. People are uncomfortable. Yeah. People that I, I know people don't want to speak yeah. about it. Even us, sometimes there's they don't certain topics we want to talk about. And it's like, nah, it's you'll yeah. get too much backlash. But yeah. then we're kind of understanding that we got to do what yeah. we want to do yeah, to a certain extent. And bismillah, you leave the rest to Allah, you know? Yeah, and that's kind of what happened. So I would go to these communities Parents would be angry. Mm. Oh, brother, why would you talk about this? And brother, and, and they don't they don't understand that these things do exist. Yeah. So so what happened is um the the intentions and the efforts that I had to teach the community, it became um, a negative, you know, versus like and I, and I would tell the parents it's your responsibility to to educate educate yourselves on these substances that I mm. show on this projector, so you can see this is ice. This is this is cocaine, this is this, this is that. Like, this behavior, you know, could possibly be your son using one of these substances. Like, But the, the, the parents most times didn't want to talk about it. And a lot of these young people were having sex, and these are just things that are frowned upon in Islam. Yeah, so definitely. so it's, it's yeah. um, the parents are, majority of the time, because I've seen this myself in the you know, communities, the parents themselves are, they just uh, deny it or yeah they sweep in the rug sweeping the rug like I know particular guys where like they'd come home and they'll be off their off their face yeah. and I alhamdulillah I've never used in my life but I, I've seen people use I've seen people how they are after they've used and I see him come home or I see him knocking on his house door and I'm thinking this guy how are you going to go home in that state but the mum will think automatically Someone gave my son drugs. Mm. Uh. It wasn't something he'd done. 
it was somebody else's fault. It's they in a state of denial where they believe their kid, due to me teaching him ABC morals when he was five years old, he would never do drugs. So or taking I, so him to an Islamic school, yeah. or taking him to a Saturday school for two hours, <laughs> yeah, every know? single week, <laughs> or you know, all of that. He uh, like you know, he he fasts and he prays, all that. He sh- he's a good kid. He wouldn't do that. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I think just to interject on that, my apologies for cutting you off. One of the biggest mistakes that I've seen that has been counterproductive is always taking that young person, shipping him to yeah. your homeland country. Because <laughs> what happens is that this young person was raised in Australia. Mm. The young person grew up, gr- is growing up under the, um, the culture in Australia. So, yeah, this person may be, I'm just going to say for conversation purposes, Somali. This person may be of Somali descent, ethnic background, but the pers- this young person didn't grow up in Somalia. Yeah. So what you're doing is removing this person from their, um, their the, the country that they're growing up in, and you're sending them through a place where they, they have an identity, yeah. but they but don't have an attachment because they didn't grow up there. Mm. But their identity is, is a part of that. So the, the young people, and, I, and I've said this because I've seen hundreds of clients, some people can say, oh, you know, it worked for me. It worked. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of clients that it's the opposite. It makes it worse because they rebel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Rebel and it's not like in Somalia there's no drugs. Correct. There's drugs everywhere. <laughs> it's not like, oh, yeah, I'm going to chuck you in a plane, take you to some random village in Somalia, yeah. and you're going to be drug-free. Yeah, they, they end up coming back worse than they actually yeah. left. That's yeah, the worst part. Because they meet some guy, like there's a Somali kid from Melbourne. That will leave Somali kids from Sydney. That will leave Somali kids from UK and the US, and they all go back to the same village. And all of them have the same issue. Yeah, exactly. There's eight of them now, and then <laughs> they back around the same people mm-hmm. they had in Australia. So it's just yeah. I mean, the the shipping shipping a young person away doesn't address the drug and alcohol situation. Yeah. It doesn't address the. There's always bottom underlying things that, um, that allow that. Pushes this young person to experiment, mm. and it could be, um, you know, just just it, it's a lot of times there's um, abuse in the home. Mm. Some of the young men they they've they've been you know um, witness violence and domestic violence from the father mm. in the home quite often. The young girls have been sexually abused by a family member. These are things that I would hear often that led to this young person experimenting. Of course, and th- there's very. There's few uh, few times where the young person is, is is influenced by peer pressure. Most of the time, it's an underlining issue that internal, internal. It comes Tr- from domestic violence. It comes yeah. from mm. you know sexual uh, being sexually yeah. abused. Mm. It comes from um, I never knew that. I was a lot of things like like based friends around that. Yeah, I friends do have a play, but friends do have a. It's always it's, it can be fifty fifty instead of. People, what they always say, oh, it's yeah. bad friends, yeah. bad friends. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. You can um, have bad friends and then you have underlying issues, but those underlying issues with the bad friends correct. like trigger that like certain action to occur. Yeah. So w- after your years of experience, what kind of things do people do to as a like a way to try to cope with the issue? Rehabilitation. You know, yeah, rehabilitation. But like obviously it depends on the circumstances. So what kind of things is at least more likely to work? Um, I mean that that's that's a general that's a difficult one to to mm. give you a, a very um, a answer that will will just cover the board. Mm. But uh, most times, each person is is individually. Th- 
their own individual case. So what happens is also in the Muslim community itself, there's a lot of um, taboo and stigma based around rehab and rehabilitation centers. Yep. A lot of our young people, they, they, they always have, um, they know best. Oh, my friend was this, my friend heard. Mm -hmm. I know somebody who went and did this and that. And a lot of times their understanding of these things are not what they think they are. Mm -hmm. yeah. So a lot of times these young people need counseling. They need they need individual programs set up for them. And, and a lot of times it's situational. Their, their assessments yeah. have to be um, carefully reviewed, mm -hmm. not only by myself, but, but other people have to mm -hmm. be involved from their, their doctors, their uh, their parents, their, we, we have to know like their history because there's, mm -hmm. as I said before, there's a lot of underlying things that play a part. So it'll be being assessed by, you know, their, 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 their psych, psych person, their, mm -hmm. their GP, their mentor, everyone mm -hmm. plays a part. And as, after you carefully assess them, you put together a plan for this young person. Mm -hmm. And most times, to be honest with you, the, the plans are always, um, frowned upon the young person yeah. because they're afraid of they're afraid of ridicule oh they don't want no one to mm. see them going into rehab they mm. don't want anyone to um know that they're doing this kind of program so yeah. a lot of times they reject the help you can't force them because okay. most times they're of yeah. age where they can make their own decisions so for yeah. us like actually spoke about he has an experience there and i haven't experienced it i don't know about abduwali that kind of thing maybe like even people close to us haven't what's something that we can do that can help the community because it is a normal thing in the community, and we all know it in different communities. But even ethnic communities, they, you know, they don't talk about it, it's taboo. Yeah, so, what's something we can do? You know, is there anything um, we can do that kind of spreads awareness, helps people? In terms of drugs and alcohol, yeah. substance abuse, I, even just in with rehab, with mental health issues, anything across the board that are kind of taboo topics. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the things um, you can do is is educate yourselves on the substances that you hear that are local in your community educate yourselves on the resources available like you know the proper people to call if, if, if a friend has this happened if a friend talks about suicide you know know the proper numbers to call um, educate yourselves on like you know the, the resources to be able to help this person to pass it along mm. I mean the the biggest thing is to understand body language understand um, mm. The, the reactions to, to drugs, how people behave, and um, some of the things that people say. Sometimes you can, t you can tell, like, wow, this brother is, is talking crazy. His yeah. body language is a bit off. Yeah. Yeah. So, so understanding signs, understanding body language, understanding um, paying attention closely to what they say, and um, if you, you understand basics about some of these substances, you can say, wow, like, this brother is ticking boxes from using this substance. Like, bro, are you all right? Like, yeah. chat You kind of, yeah, pre-judgment. Yeah. You kind of analyze the situation. Like, yeah, so just familiarize yourselves with, like, you know, ask around, like, brother, you know. Did psychology, get, did studying psychology get you into this? Nah, you know what? Just, uh, just, just kind of, like, yeah. fell into it, to be yeah. honest with you. Because Sahel and I love psychology. Yeah. Even all of us really do. And we've got a psychologist on couple months ago and we just yeah. love it because just learning about the mind educating yourself because yeah. there's so many general things about ourselves our nature and our community that we don't know yeah. and if we don't learn to understand analyze the situation we'll never know you kind of have to keep educating yourself and yeah. it's like so many things just get swept under the rug so many things we don't even realize it's like yeah. subhanallah yeah. you know Human just behavior yeah. just out of curiosity you know when you're mentioning how 
some certain ethnic communities send their children off to other countries and stuff as a form of dealing with situations. Yeah. And you said you've dealt with like hundreds of clients. Um, have you actually oh. seen like anyone go overseas and actually come back and be rehabilitated? Just out of curiosity? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Because I understand like generally like it doesn't work and that's not the form of method, like the best form of method, but has it occurred? Yeah, it's I've I've seen a very small percentage of um, yeah. young people go overseas, and um, what what I've found, and these are all everything that I'm saying is based off of my experience with exactly. dealing with with multiple ethnic groups of young people who've gone overseas. Some haven't, so this isn't me giving my own opinion. This is from fact based experience. Yeah. So, um, some of the young people that I've seen have um, success at going overseas and cleaning up their behavior. Um, parting ways with substance abuse. Mm -hmm. The things that helped them was to connecting back with their cultural roots. Mm -hmm. Some of them, like some of them growing up here in, in, in Australia, they may be, um, they, they identify with this, eth with this ethnic group, but when they actually go home to that, their homeland country, they really connect to the roots of their ethnic background. Yeah. And they, they go back to, um, more cultural belief system. They they feel connected being in their country, their homeland. They they're most times they're going back to poverty stricken countries where they have um they appreciate the things that they come from mm -hmm. leaving Australia to go to a, a war torn country or, or, or a poverty stricken country. So they go back with um uh, appreciation when they mm -hmm. come back. They're like yeah. they value the appreciation of being yeah. able to have um, free health care or being able to, um, you know, just go to the shopping center with your friends and not be in danger, just small things. Mm. So sometimes fear, fear, connection with your culture and your roots. And, and just, yeah, under, and understanding that, that these people don't have and these mm. people are um, living in poverty. And they also don't have the option to go back home. Correct. Like you, you yeah. go back home for at 12, you know at 20 you might go back or even yeah. 25 seconds. But they might not ever get the chance. You're gonna come here, running water whenever you Correct. want, food, yeah. good money. You yeah. can live kind of family. Correct. So these these things are are just a few to name of like some of the success I've seen with some of the young people mm. from going overseas. But I, I I would say in my experience, majority of the time that's not the case. That's not the but case. It yeah. does happen. Yeah, you have to be very open minded to go yeah. back home and come back rehabilitated. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but how did you become a Muslim? Oh, that's a very good question. Yeah, because <laughs> I knew, before the podcast started, I knew you were revert. Yeah. But I didn't know how you became revert. Mm. Yeah, so um, in, in a nutshell, I, um, I, I grew up Christian. So I was yeah. um, Christian by, by birth, by affiliation. But I baptized? Wasn't, yeah, I was baptized as a kid, but... Yeah. Uh, wasn't a practicing Christian. I didn't come from a practicing family. Mm -hmm. My grandmother, who was the um, the anchor of my family, she was from the deep south. Um, she deep, deep south, south of uh, deep south in Louisiana. People don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah back yeah, in America. Yeah. So, so in America, back home in America, my grandmother came from uh, Louisiana. She was from the deep south, and um, she um, very very. Um, she was the most practicing uh, God fearing woman. That she was a Christian. And, um, was she the anchor of the family as well? She was also the anchor of my family. Yeah. And um, we, as a family, weren't really practicing Muslim. I'm sorry. We weren't practicing Christians, but we were, if 
you would have asked me at the time, I would have identified as a Christian. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people are like that, even yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. It's just culture or family. My grandma's this, my grandpa's yeah. that. Yeah. So, so my grandmother, um, my grandmother was, um, she was a, 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 a nationalist in, in terms of she grew up in a, in a, in a, in a Jim Crow era, in a time of segregation. Yeah, Louisiana. My grandmother was, grew yeah. up in the civil rights movement. So my grandmother was very active in, uh, you know, with Nelson Mandela, uh, mm. you know, uh, the Nation of Islam. My grandmother was, um, you know, very um, pro-black and very active in the uh, mm. uh, rights for the, through the civil rights for for people of color. Um, so, growing up Christian, I um, as I, I I gained life experiences becoming an adult, I started to kind of question why that I, I just couldn't find that that balance in my life, that happiness. I felt mm. like something was missing. And it wasn't until 2006 that I was uh, traveling overseas. I was in actually in Dubai in um, 2006, and I, I heard the Adan for the first time. Subhanallah. I heard it. In the beginning, it was funny because I was quite annoyed by it because I kept hearing it. <laughs> I was there yeah. for like three weeks. Five and I was like, yeah, I was like, yo, what is this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so... I kept hearing it, man. I just kept hearing it, and I was like, "Damn, this is really like annoying, dude." So, <laughs> I, once I, I heard it, and um, it was probably like "Dude," and I was like, "Man, let me let me go and s- investigate this." So, you know, it's Muslims everywhere. It was very easy for me to mm. ask someone, uh, "What was it?" And they explained, "Oh, this is the call to prayer," and blah blah blah. And there's one mosque in Dubai where I was at that they allow um, non-Muslims. So I went and I just said, look, take me to the mosque. I want to learn more about this mm. um, adhan and, and what Muslims do. I went to the mosque and I walked in and I said, look, I'm, I'm not Muslim, but I'm just curious, man, because I'm a, I'm a forward thinker. I mm. have foresight. I like to learn. and Even just learning about other religions. Actually yeah, it was it's intuitive. It was it's interesting. It was interesting. Know? So what I did was uh, I was like, I want to watch you guys pray. People were, all oh. the Muslims were flowing in to, to pray and uh I stood there, and um, when I watched them in Sujood, I was kind of, like, blown away. I was like, wow, because this was a very delicate time of my life. Um, I was going through a uh, a weird space because I was kind of trying to find myself, trying to mm-hmm. figure out things. I was in a um, questioning God at the time because, you know, it's like... Purpose of life. Yeah, purpose of, thing, of yeah. life, all of these kind of things. Is that so why you were in Dubai? Or was, were you in Dubai unrelated? I, to I, w- I was in Dubai for work. And um, and I just was like, man, this is deep. I was like, wow, this is, they're actually putting their head on the floor, like worshiping God. That's like mm. the most, the humility in that was so interesting for me. And I was like, that's the lowest point you can mm. go, you know, physically, like, wow, to the ground. So I kind of was, I, I was impressed by that. And I was kind of like intrigued by it. So I left there and was kind of like, okay, cool. I'm going to learn about Islam a little bit, but. I wanted to do it without um, outside interference. Did you, okay. Did you have like a pre, like a pre Dubai bias of Islam? Because before you went to Dubai, I'm assuming you never heard Adan before. You probably had a certain particular view of Muslims. Like, did that sort of? Did you have a particular view of Muslims before? Nah, I grew up with Muslims my whole life. Oh, you know, okay. so, Sorry about that, yeah. so like I, I, I never really had a um, any kind of stereotypes. Muslims, even Jews, no one, to be honest, just because you're I got from friends. You're from New York, even New York, yeah. 9-11 didn't affect you? Like 9-11 didn't affect me. Because you um, kind of knew Muslims, so it's like... Yeah, I mean, 
9-11, um, to be honest, I didn't believe it was Muslims to begin okay. with. Like I just, I just, I just don't really believe things from the yeah. government. It's so like it's like what you said before. Yeah, as soon as you put some interest into it and intuitiveness, like and you kind of learn about the situation, like that doesn't seem like. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of know, the time it's like that. Yeah, and when you have friends that represent all ethnic groups, yeah. all um, religious backgrounds, I have friends who are Jewish. I have mm. friends who are Christian, Catholics. Mm. So I never, I didn't really have a bias to be honest yeah. with anyone. So. Um, most of my friends weren't, it's sort of like, my friends were Muslims, but I didn't know like what a practicing yeah. Muslim looked like, what a, what what culture looked like for a Muslim, because I only knew friends who say, yo, salam alaikum, this, that, and then mm. brothers would be carrying weapons or coming home from jail. Mm. Those are the, that's, that's what I knew yeah. as a Muslim, to be honest with you. I didn't really know, I didn't really have an understanding of, mm. of what it takes to represent yeah. this or that. So I, I really didn't know, but there was no bias. Oh. So is it fair to say that when you were in Dubai at that time, that it all bec became apparent to you? Um, it's safe to say when I went to Dubai, I was just exposed to um, the UAE culture of Muslims. Gotcha. I learned a little bit of, I learned the differences between culture and, and Islam or whatever, because like before, like, because going there, it's almost like, man, like, you know, they don't look like, they don't dress the way Muslims dress mm. where I'm from. So, And you're in the heart of it. You're in a Muslim yeah, country. Yeah, in a Muslim country. Yeah. So so it was it was, it was was just interesting. And, like, I was learning people were explaining things to me and wearing dress mm. and certain things that mm. were of the, their culture yeah. and all of that. So it was, um, it was beautiful, but I was just so intrigued. But I realized that if I go back to America and let people know that I will interested in Islam that I would probably be um, just railroaded or, or, mm. or like just be they, they would just probably rake me across the coals so so I wanted to write down my questions about Muslims about yeah. Islam and I wanted to do it privately without um, other people's opinions to sway my, my which is the best way to do it yeah. with a lot of things yeah. even like writing a children's book even when you wanted to do that kind of thing or any of us even starting a podcast, doing anything that's against the norm in your community, yeah. it's very difficult to get everyone to say, oh, yeah. no, we got your back, we got your back. Yeah, because it, it, it gets messy when you yeah. when you tell, um, first of all, like, you know, um, after 9-11, like, it was, people had people had issues with Muslims. So, so me coming out to say that I'm interested in Islam yeah. would have been um, a train wreck because people would have been, judgmental and it's very difficult for me to say that what certain people that mean the world to me mm. wouldn't hurt me or wouldn't sway my opinion like let's just say for example my mother if I said to my mom hey mom I want to become a Muslim and if she gave me a negative reaction mm. of course it would bother me that's my mom yeah. that didn't yeah. happen but I'm just saying yeah. like that that's it, it would have potentially of course. and the stereotypes would have been very fresh then you know what I mean because yeah. this is in 2004 yeah. 2006-2006 I got a question do you remember any of those questions you wrote down that you that first came to mind when you're interested in Islam that you kept to yourself uh yeah I used to um <laughs> the, the same ones that we hear all the time is I was I wanted to ask about like you know uh if, if committing blowing up things or committing suicide, would you get virgins? Mm. Um, you know, uh, why do Muslims do, um, you know, uh, all the jihadi yeah. stuff and all this. The general of questions. The of general what, yeah, questions yeah. that a, a non-Muslim don't know, mm. that that stereotypes kind of um, 
creates a black eye for a Muslim. Like, so it was more like putting the the, the carriage before the horse. It was yeah. like okay. I wanted to ask the hard questions that Question. I didn't understand and um, kind of like get some simplicity around like stuff to make sense because mm -hmm. like you know I was when I was reading things I started to be like wow certain things that I started to read what happened was um how it worked for me how I started to see results was I would learn something about Islam I would apply it I would see the results of me applying it mm. and I would like the results and then after the results I tried to continue that to um force change in my thinking um, I cleaned up my language. I, I cleaned up my way of dressing. I adopted the kufi. Um, Looks good um, on you, bro. Thanks, brother. <laughs> I, um, I adopted the uh, just just my Islam helped me to um, bridge the relationship back with my mom and Kinship, I yeah. um, to to bring pieces together with family members. So I started to see the fruits of the things that I applied and I started to like the results okay. and um, and I continued mm -hmm. and then it started to make me more aware of uh, being a, um, a, a a support system, a mentor, all of these things in my environment, mm -hmm. in my community and not only in my community, I started to take that to um, other communities but what happened is it took me about, I accepted Islam in 2011 so it took me many years okay. through this process because I was like, this is like eating an elephant. I don't want to go too hard, too fast, and then fall on my face with, like, you know, become extreme or, or, or have... Um, Which is very common for reverts, yeah, too. Yeah, it happens. Because, like, you would live the life of, like, drugs or girls yeah. or whatever, like, not praying every single day. And then when you start to fight the enlightenment, prayer, and good things happening to you, yeah. see how you see the fruits of your labor? You start seeing, like, okay, maybe I need to go harder and harder and harder. Which is, it works for them, which is good. But then for the everyday Muslim, like most of the time it doesn't, you know. Yeah. 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 In, in the Western world, like it is harder to go mm. as extreme. But yeah. for reverts, it's more common because they've seen both sides. They have the enlightenment. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing that I was afraid of. I was just kind of like, there was fear in the beginning because you have to understand like, um, even though I wasn't a practicing Christian, like mm. my core belief system revolved around my family, at the time, it was, you know, uh, everything that Christianity stood on, even though I wasn't practicing. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's, it's fearful when, you have to, when you're looking to challenge what you've been taught your entire life. Mm -hmm. And one of, the, one of the other things that really pushed me to go further with Islam is that I started to challenge my, my family, my grandmother, my, my mother, my... my um, the hierarchy system of my family <laughs> because I started to, to ask, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I started to say things like, man, like I've never challenged, I've never studied or researched anything that they have taught me in terms of religion. Yeah. Oh. I only regurgitate what someone has told mm. me. So I don't even know if these things are accurate. Even in the Christian belief. Correct. Yeah. And as I started to ask my family, my grandmother, they had never researched anything either. It's it was because same. of someone told them it's this. cultural thing. Mm -hmm. So they keep passing it. And I was saying to myself, I don't know how well that sits with me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm just regurgitating what you told me without mm. reading it, without studying it. Without so comprehending it. You're just using words correct. like a parrot. So it was empty. Yeah. And wow. uh, Where's this in the timeline, by the way, when you started like opposing the hierarchy and stuff? That was in the 
that was probably <laughs> around 2007 through 2009. I started okay. becoming so even early on learning about Islam. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And had you had did you answer those questions you initially wrote by then, or were you still looking for the answers? It took quite some time to, yeah. because I wanted to find. I didn't want to get overwhelmed with um, too many people giving me information. Um, mm. Information because yeah. I real I had one bad experience that helped me understand that early. I was like, with having too many people involved, it becomes messy. It, it, it never works, yeah. It never, it never works. works. You get very confused. Yeah. And then being a person who was um, in an interesting space, I didn't want to become confused or overloaded mm. with information. Because you were confused yourself. I was very and confused. And if you listen to confused people, it's just going to make <laughs> a worse situation, yeah. Yeah, so, so during that time period, from 2006, I became incredibly interested in Islam. Alhamdulillah. 2007 to 2010 was like the reading, the, the just asking questions, going to mosques to um, embrace and understand. Mm. I had two bad experiences <laughs> at <laughs> mosques too that kind of <laughs> almost made me kind of stop one, well two actually. And uh, What happened? So during that time frame between 2007 and 2010, I realized that me reading and learning on is about Islam was sometimes the information I read online may not be accurate. Mm. So I wanted to find some practicing Muslims, go to a mosque and kind of connect and try to see if um, mm. there's mentors or someone can help me a bit. So I just, I one day I just went to a, um, a community and um, you know, I, I didn't know the etiquette of, of 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 a Muslim at the time. I didn't really research a lot of it, and I had been smoking marijuana mm. at the time, um, and I had been um, just kind of doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. And and I had a, a cut off shirt on, and um, had my my headphones on, listening to music, and I was in a um, I was I was I was not in the best space to to be entering the house of Allah, but I went to the mosque and people couldn't smell the marijuana on me mm. at the time. So I went in and I was explaining to them like I'm interested in learning about Islam, mm. but they smelled the marijuana. So they were like, "Brother, and the don't come in here. I got tattoos all over me." And they like, "Don't come in here like this. Get out of here. Mm. You know, you you smell like you've been smoking and tattoos and blah blah blah." So I got defensive. Mm. Obviously, I got defensive. Yeah, I um. Naturally, so I called some friends. They came over to, <laughs> to cause a problem, <laughs> and it turned into a mess, bro. And <laughs> I was experience at the mosque. Yeah, my first experience the at the mosque was I'm terrible, good. and um, I, um, I, I just I took it personal, like at the time, because I wasn't <laughs> in my right space. Yeah. Brothers weren't really welcoming. They were very mm. um, just just a bit. But know. I guess that's normal, though. Do you know what I mean? A curious person. Mm. We get sort of like turned away, like yeah. it's a normal reaction. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's a bump in the road, and it's it was a it's, bump it's always supposed to be yeah. that Allah plans like how much do you want it? Because the hidayah, it's not for everyone. Yeah. You know, guidance isn't for everyone, yeah. especially to the extent of reverting. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, but I mean, to that story, what happened is a day or so later, I actually went back there and I actually apologized to the, the community for for getting so upset and I and I brought other people there with intentions to fight, etc. So I felt guilty about that because I'm like, man, I'm I'm here trying to become a Muslim. And I was trying to justify it like, but they were doing this to me mm. and that's the way. 
So I felt guilty, and I, I went back later, and I, um, I apologized. And I just said, look, I just want to learn. I'm not here to try to whatever. I didn't know. I didn't know I was supposed mm. to take my shoes off. I didn't know, like, you know, mm. even though I had that one experience in Dubai, but I had been smoking, and yeah. I just didn't know. So and you I, forget. I didn't, yeah, yeah, I forgot. So It could even be Dubai culture. You don't yeah, know. Yeah, correct, bro. So, <laughs> so that was a really poor experience. And then I had another experience where I went, and I, I, didn't, I made sure I was covered properly. I wasn't doing any substances or anything. And I went in and I said, look, I'm, I'm here. I'm, wanna, I'm not Muslim. I want to learn about Islam. I'm just looking for somebody to help. Now I'm over flooded with people. Aki, what's your phone number? Let's go to lunch. I'll give you coffee. Take my number. Here's some books. Here's this. Sometimes there's too, much, like, oh. too much information. Yeah, so yeah. I became overwhelmed um, in that situation. And I was just like, man, I can't do this. So I yeah. left. Um, and I left with a... I think I got one or two brothers' numbers, and I left feeling overwhelmed. And I was like, "Man, mm. everybody wanted my number. Everybody was giving me books. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to read. And it was just kind of like um, too overwhelming for me to to digest." Mm. It happens so a lot of the time yeah. when people are even interested in learning more about Islam or meeting someone. Everyone always jumps and thinks they're the right person, you know. And everyone ch- obviously it's the yeah. right intention and stuff. Yeah. But sometimes people have to take that step back. Mm for the greater good it's like the same with the internet like if you try searching islam on your own on the internet and you get overwhelmed with all this information it's you can't much. like digest which one is correct and which is yeah, yeah. It's, not. yeah. You know, it's, it's the same with in person yeah, yeah. Mm. so it became so so after that i became um i became very comfortable with the results that i had started to see from learning about islam and applying it and um what did and mom and grandma say yeah, yeah that's what happened when point. you went over yeah. the edge? Like so that after story? accepting Islam in 2011, my um, my grandmother was, was actually really happy. She was very Subhanallah. Um, yeah, because mm. my grandmother grew up in a in a um, in an era where she followed Muslims. Um, Malcolm. She followed Malcolm X. Mm. She grew up in that civil rights movement, but um, she uh, she was actually very happy for me foundation i needed something to follow and um she saw that i was really serious about it and i had made i had applied the changes and um she saw my my the way i dressed changed she saw the way that i my character and my 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 language everything had took a shift Mm -hmm. so my grandmother was pleased and then a lot of people thought that it was just a a short-term um fashion statement or happens a lot yeah Yeah, so i um I remained firm in, in, in my um, my commitment to to Islam. Mm. Not a perfect Muslim, but I remained firm and mm. practicing. And I also um, my mom she she didn't really um, she was shocked more than anything, just kind of like confused. Like I don't understand why, but she mm. was kind of like that. And um, took me to my mom really just didn't understand. She just was like, I can't would you do this mm. but over time like she her heart softened and she was able to really um learn more about islam now my mom is really active and defends islam to people that's good who are not um yeah. people who are not educated yeah educated my wife my I mom will say things like you know my son is a muslim mm. that's not true that's not accurate yeah. stuff like that often you see that a lot of family members they see reva to become better people yeah more kind nicer yeah. with their family they keep the kinship they keep the relationships they help each other yeah. out and they're like islam has made him a better person so islam must be good kind of thing 
which is yeah. yeah. And that's what happened. I mean, because I was um, I was a person that was um, I was lost in wor- in the world. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I had a lot of worldly ways, um, that trickled down to you know from substance abuse to, um, you know, taking advantage of of women, mm-hmm. um, poor relationships with my family, including my mm-hmm. mother, my my I was promoting things in my community that that's destructive, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I just had a uh, my my thought process was really like um, it was it was just it was negative and mm-hmm. very very um, abusive in terms of just like you know not really promoting positivity or, or it was just all about promoting foolishness. Mm. Yeah. But often that's the case for families, you know, because families like when you you're not on the best path or you're not in the best situation, they're always wanting you to do what's best for you, and then you do a one eighty and you shut you start to like reap the results and they can see that you've said I'm going to do this and then they start to see actions and all that kind of stuff. They become, like this, you can take Islam out of it. You know what I mean? Like let's just say me as a young 20-year-old trying to convince my mum that I want to do this and do these big things into the world. You know what I mean? If I don't start committing to that and like start living up to those expectations and showing results to my parents and they're going to be like, they're going to be worried for you. You know what I mean? It's the same thing when you're going to make a big life decision as becoming, like for example, becoming a Muslim and doing a full 180 and like they start to see a character results, all obviously they're going to be like, yeah, it's I not easy. I think in America, like even here, the youth is often like lost. Would you say we're not guided because we just hear what our parents say and we think that's the right way, and then when we start to question it, we don't really believe in it because they're just words to us. Yeah, exactly. You know, unfortunately. So I want to talk to you about what's been happening now in the states. You know, so obviously yeah. uh, there's even now in the movements, there's a lot of people we're seeing. You know, that have a purpose and they're purpose driven and then they're always talking about like even the looters people that are kind of finding like a loophole and obviously you lived in america i can't really say anything because all i see is the news and what twitter i didn't have twitter but what these guys tell me on twitter so what do you think about what's been going on you know even living there like your own experiences yeah well kind of thing being an american man and being um raised in america America? my entire life um, come from new york city like (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> that was for the podcast. <laughs> you know, coming from coming from America, man, coming from New York, I um. Some people, they misunderstand. Being a patriot, me, I'm an American citizen, man, but I'm you know, I'm I'm definitely not a patriot. Um, I'm not a person that's um. Advocating for you know um, for for you know flag or for this or for that because these things have always been um, oppressive to, to black people yeah. and um, I think right now this is just the beginning of what should have come a long time ago yeah. 100%. Um, many people in, in th- that are that are ethnic or, or minorities have faced their own versions of discrimination um, so so when I talk about these topics I try to highlight other communities do face their forms of discrimination. But right now, the things that's going on in America, man, this is really uh, something that my community has been plagued with, man. This is basically modern-day lynching. This is um, it's just like taking us back to the, 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 the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, man, mm. like where you know the Ku Klux Klan would come to our communities and, and just burn our communities down and, and, and hang our family members from trees, um, you know, the slave Atlantic, tra- Atlantic slave trade, um, you know, 
more than 400 years of oppression and horrendous acts, man, from separating our families and, you know, our cultures and our, um, our languages and, and just stealing our everything from us, man, to uh, systematic racism. To black people, we've grown in America. We faced so many things that, that, that people need to understand our history first from, you know, Jim Crow to redlining to the civil rights movement to uh, systemic racism um, to to lynching to the Atlantic slave trade to the, the Chinese act to the Tuskegee experiment to the list can go on and on and on and um, you know why we don't have generational wealth um, you know white people white slave owners they they had a 200 year head start on mm. us so I think this is just um, you know the crack e epidemic, the the um, yeah. the prisons being privatized to uh, put us in prison and to to gain free labor off of us and to slap us with felonies and and things to minimize us from getting ahead in jobs and the banking institutions working against us, credit working against us. So um, it's almost just the system is against the system you. is the the system needs to be dismantled. Yeah. Um, we need reparations. Uh, we need you know, a lot of people to um, really understand this this history thing for us first, because this white supremacy ideology has been um, oppressing us since the beginning of time. Yeah. So we can't get ahead with the system being designed against us. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So um, I think what's happening now is very. Um, it's, it was a long time coming. And, um, As a person yeah. who experienced the firsthand. You sort of wish that you were there at the moment because I know someone who's who's in Australia at the moment who's also American, um, and she made a comment along the lines that um, she's grown up in America all her life, blah blah blah, and the only time when she sees some sort of real form of change, you know what I mean? It might not be the best form of change, but it's some form of change. She wishes she was there, experience it. Would well, you I've, agree I've that? been I've been dealing with it um, my entire life. You know, I went to college and. and down south in America where the civil rights movement started. Like, I've seen Ku Klux Klan rallies. I've been a part of marching and rallies, so this isn't new for me. My entire life is in America. So mm -hmm. so I've, I've been a part of um, some of these um, social changes. And, you know, when uh, Black Lives Matter first was, was invented, Trayvon Martin was killed. Like, you know, all of these things, like, I've been a part of yeah. many of these movements. Um, and... Um, I just think that, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's really a, a difficult space and interesting time that we're in. But um, we actually have, the power is in our hands in terms of like, because the world, a lot of, lot of the world loves our culture. They loves us as athletes. They love this, our music. Mm -hmm. They love to see us entertain. But when it comes to our struggle, no one wants to be a mm. part of it. Everyone wants to, you know, right now, what I'm saying is that, our athletes and our our uh, financial um because like muslims and black folks bro we 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 spend the most money mm. so if we were to be able to maintain our our money amongst just us and our communities yeah. and oppress these not give our money to these big corporations etc bro do you know like the changes that will be made instantly because dollars is what what, what they really we won't change no laws with just like you know a few riots or this or that. We need 
things changed in Congress. We need to, our athletes to be like the athletes in the past, like the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, the Jim Browns, the Muhammad Ali's. They went to Congress. They, they, they used their star power because people want to see them perform at the highest level in their sport. If we had our athletes doing this kind of stuff now, going to Congress, not going out there and playing basketball. Yeah, we, standing we, up. Standing up. If we, we're not going to play if you, if, you know, this doesn't change. That, that's when we'll, 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 we'll gain some momentum, man, and some change. But, you know, mm -hmm. it's sort of like uh, it falls on deaf ears because, like, for, the, for, for years we've been marching for hundreds of years peacefully. Mm -hmm. they've, they've sicked um, dogs on us. Angry white mobs have attacked us, spraying us down with water hoses throughout the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King, he protested and marched peacefully. They gunned him down, assassinated him. Like, we have hundreds of um, mm -hmm. um, black figures who spoke on our behalf that were nonviolent, that were killed. So, so, you know, anything that we do, it's always combated with something else. It's like, black lives matter, all lives matter, blue lives matter. You know, oh, why are they rioting? We've, we've protested and rioted for yeah. peacefully for hundreds of years. No one's... It still doesn't. It hasn't changed anything. So how can the oppressor tell you how to uh, feel, how to react, or what to do when you're mm. oppressed? Mm. The oppressor is going to tell you how to respond. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. So, so I think it's needed what's happening. Man. Yeah. We need this change. We do. But then again, how do you beat a system that's designed to... Correct. You know what I mean? Because it was only last year that I learned about how like everyone abuses drugs. You know, what I mean? It's a thing that's within communities, not just black people. Yeah. And the whole Ronald Reagan thing where Correct. he specifically made laws that were targeting black people. Yeah. So then if they were seen with drugs, then boom, they'll be incarcerated on top of that. And it's just like, what can you really do? But then <laughs> I like one of the ideas that you said where, where we maintain within each other as a community yeah. rather than spending yeah. it and like... Spend money on yourselves. And fueling these yeah. communities. Let's keep your money too for generational wealth. So if you just, you know, if unless you spend it on assets, you know, you can give to your children yeah. and keep on doing that, you know, yeah. and be successful and make each other successful too. Because a lot, a lot of things is we put each other down. You know, I know in ethnic and minority groups, whenever someone else excels, it's like, oh, what we spoke about yesterday, Abshin and I were talking about, it's like when someone else excels, like, oh, he's just, he's an outlier. It's like, let's make it more common that you see these minority groups excelling. Think about how George, levels. think about the situation with George Floyd. One of the reasons why he's in that situation was because um, a man from Arab descent didn't trust that that twenty dollar um, note was actually real, and that brought about the whole situation. Do you know what I mean? So he, he just he owned there was a like a alarm. We probably shouldn't speak about it because we don't know the full details. But they said like he owned the store and it was a like seventeen year old worker, a female working. And there's rules if someone has a counterfeit bill. But him just making even if you just make the call, it's all on the cop yeah. really for the reaction. Because yeah, yeah. if you do think something's counterfeit, you have to call the cops. No, but the whole know? the whole stereotype idea. Do you know what I mean? It all started yeah. with trusting another minority group. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean one of the, one of the things that that really plagues our community, man, the black community, is that when something happens to us, it's always we have to justify why. Mm. It's almost like, oh, well, you gotta understand, he shouldn't have ran, or yeah. we have to justify why we're killed. Mm. Exactly. So it's like, oh, well, he was. He he didn't stop when the police said stop, or yeah. he didn't have his hands out of his pocket, or he ran when the cops said this mm -hmm. or that. It's like we have to justify being killed. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable, bro. Mm. So it's almost like so many of our young black men and women are being 
modern day lynched and gunned down and we have to always justify or what happens is the media will spin it to vilify them. Oh, well, he had in, in he 2000, had a, he, he had was, a record. He had a criminal yeah. record for stealing a, a, a Snickers candy bar or, mm. you know, he, <laughs> he, 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 he had a, a citation mm. in 1998 for jet walking across the street mm. without a driver's light. It's so they, they vilify um, us mm. and turn us into the villain versus like vilifying the, Correct. So, and it's almost like I've never seen where we have to justify why we're killed because mm. oh he shouldn't have been wearing a hood at nighttime. Mm. He had his head covered up and he had on a black hat and they thought it was a gun in his hand. He shouldn't be running. He shouldn't be running. Mm. Like these are the things that we have to hear mm. to justify. Now it's when it comes to our parents. Now it's sad when my own mother have to tell me and my brother that. She is afraid for us in today's society. Mm. That's crazy, bro. For, for my own mom, who has two black sons, to say something like that. Where, does, where do we live at? A mm. third world war-driven war country? Mm. Like, I don't understand. So I- it's real, bro. It's a real thing. And this, is, this, is, this is like, you know, the, the oppression comes in. in, in it's packaged different now. It's mm. not... It's not just as blatant like it was in the 30s where, you know, somebody come up to your hood, I mean, to your to your community in white hoods and uh, you go to have a drink of water to use the toilet and it says blacks only, whites mm-hmm. only, or coloreds only or whatever. We are living in a, a 2020 where there's no excuse for people to pretend that they don't know about racism. Mm-hmm. 2020. And it's like now... People just package it differently now. It just looks cleaner and it just looks more like um, politically correct. I can I can discriminate against you without getting a lawsuit in different ways now. Mm-hmm. It's compartmentalized. Yeah. I can have a smile on my face, wear a nice, you know, expensive suit, and discriminate against you and say, "Hey, I can do something like you know, you can work for me. I can do something to you." And then when you get upset about it, I can say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm white and I'm from here and I didn't know. And then when mm. you get angry, you can say, well, you, 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 you made me afraid because you got aggressive with me. I'm afraid of you now. Mm. Now I call the police. The police come. Now you, you happen to, I'm the victim now. Mm-hmm. Even though you started it. Even though it. you started it. This is how it's packaged now. Mm. It's a difference. So it's like, I can do something to you. When you get angry about it, I can say, well, I didn't know. Mm. I didn't know that that was racist. And, but now you're scaring me, though, because now mm. what you're doing is I'm frightened. Let me call the police. <laughs> this is how it happens. Mm. This is how it happens Ugh. every day, bro. Yeah. And then if you openly discriminate, then it's freedom of speech. It's freedom, but free, freedom of speech, but then there's the consequences after the speech. Yeah. yeah. But it's that freedom of speech. It's not. So that's where you're at, man. So mm. this is this is the kind of ideology that we're up against, and this is the kind of um, system that needs to be broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the stuff that needs to be dismantled. Yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite ugly. Yeah. And then um, a lot of a lot of times, um, other communities don't like like people. I, I hear a lot of times people throwing around. Um, all lives matter. So, so my question to them is: If all lives matter, why aren't you mad as well? Mm. 
our community is the ones that are being um, publicly lynched. If all lives matter, why aren't you upset as well? This isn't about all lives do matter, but this is about a specific of community that has been attacked. This isn't about the Bangladeshi community. This isn't about the Arab community. Everyone is facing their own forms of discrimination. This is strictly about black Americans being modern day lynched. All lives do matter. But right now, this isn't about all lives because this isn't happening to all lives. It's only happening to one community. Exactly. People don't get that. Mm -hmm. So my thing is like, okay, yeah, if all lives matter, why aren't you angry about this as well? That's my thing. Mm. Well, it's a situation where you got to do the mic drop. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn, I'm just... Mm. Yeah. What was your reaction to when huh? all the, uh, like... The abrupt I'm just saying, like, I'm um, <laughs> man, my reaction, brother, I was, I was watching that uh, George Floyd situation, brother, was 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 tough because, like, um, I've I've faced my forms of um, um, discrimination. discrimination physically by, you know, um, you know, law enforcement, um, different um, racial situations I've had going to school in the South. Um, I've faced uh, forms of, of these things that I won't even describe. And, and But I do remember, like, um, me and a friend of mine, before coming to Australia, um, the day before I took my flight, I was standing in a park, and then me and my buddy, four cops pulled up, all white, um, got out of the car, hands on their weapons, walk up to us. They viewed us as a threat forced us to get down on the ground, um, drew their weapons, searched us while we were on the ground, you know, basically um, saying whatever they're going to say and say we fit a, a, a description of some someone else. It was just, you know, humiliating because it's like we're standing in a park broad daylight just talking mm. in front of the building where we're from. And, um, yeah, so that's just one example of many. But but just to say that, like, you know, you, 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 you become – I don't want to say we become immune to just dealing with this, but we become, we become, um, we learn how to to adjust with these kind of things in our communities until, like now, it becomes it just spills over and and, and people can't take anymore. And as I like to, to to tell people, it's almost like, don't misunderstand that this one incident has sparked the outrage globally from from all fifty states in America to more than 18 countries marching and protesting black lives. This is a combination of incidents and, and oppression that has built up, and this was just forcing the hand of people to react. Mm. That was that tip was, the iceberg. One, it it was, was the tip of yeah. the iceberg. It was going to happen eventually. It just Brother, watching that was one of the most um, brutal things I've ever seen with my own eyes, brother, because to watch a man... Pardon me, brother. Mm. To watch a man beg for his mother, who's dead, beg for his life, it's horrible. I look at that because that could be my brother. That could be my father. That could be my uncle. It's frustrating, man. 
and I'm angry on the inside because having to see something like that and 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 know that like that could be one of my family members that has happened to friends of mine who 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 fortunately didn't lose their lives but if you come and speak to any african american we all have stories like this where some of us have lost family members to white supremacy to police brutality through lies white lies have been imprisoning black people for years all you have to do is from white lies to police brutality you can look at Emmett Till you can look at you know the Central Park Five from a long list of people oh, that was tough so so all I'm saying is that that hurt me because I can see that that man didn't deserve that bro even if even if he did give them a false $20 bill did he deserve to die no over a twenty dollar bill, ridiculous. That could have been one of my family members, bro, and even more, my brother. I got a grown brother, bro, thirty five year old brother, who lives not far from where that happened. So, I I get emotional because, bro, it's inhumane, and mm-hmm. and you think about it like, man, that could be one of my family members. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, it hurts. It hurts, bro. Do you think people sharing those videos of George Floyd? was inhumane itself or did we need to see that because it was very explicit i think we needed it man i mean i think the world needed to see this brutality because people across the across the water like here in australia people in australia don't really understand the amount of oppression that we receive they only see something like that they think this is just an isolated incident Like, oh, you know, I didn't realize racism was that bad. You know, that was pretty bad. That w- Is it really that bad over there? But, bro, black people, though, you guys do this to each other, though, bro. You got, it's always, like, excuses to find reason to agree why with what, why it's happening to us. That's why I say that it's very important for people across the board to understand black history, starting with the Atlantic slave trade, moving down to, you know, the Civil War to civil rights to redlining to everything I named. Because if you don't know anything about these things, you don't know history in, in terms of black mm. black history, and you won't understand the the um, the systematic racism that's put in place. You won't understand it because yeah. watching one incident of a man lose his life is not even. That's just the start of the conversation. Yeah. And so here in Australia, we don't actually really feel it because think about it, only a year ago, the document for the Central Park Five came out. Correct. And that went viral. Everyone's watching it, you know what I mean? And then after a year later or whatever, the guy that was running and then he got gunned down. Yeah. Um, and that only lasted, the uprage for that only lasted for like a week or something. And all it took was like George Floyd, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like everything is so isolated but only lasts for a short amount of time before we forget again. Correct. And I guess the system also wants us to forget it. I don't know if here in Australia you guys was, you saw the the Brianna Taylor sister who was killed uh, uh, a month or two ago off duty police officers yeah. kicked yeah. her and about the other brother Ahmed Arbery yeah. yeah so these are these are other examples of um, supremacy like this these are things that this happens so often in our community these things just happen to be caught on camera mm. think about the times that these things are happening and that we don't have the privilege of it getting caught on camera. Because, like, 
we have more than, I want to say, um, don't quote me, but I think it's more than 175 in the past few years black men and women gunned down unarmed, killed. Like That's a... That's a yeah, mm. numbers. Even if what? it's a hundred, that's still absurd, brother. It, yeah. it could be two, one. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So it's like you know, it's a, it's a very, and a lot of people on on this side of the world, when I, I mean in Australia, they I have conversations with them. It's difficult to get angry with them sometimes because I know people don't know because they 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 haven't either traveled to America and don't mm. know our history, but at the same time. I'm starting. I want people to be accountable. It's like if you want to comment about something that affects something outside of your ethnic group, at least educate yourselves. Mm. Know the history first. Don't just look at uh, um, one incident and how we react. More people are more worried about things like looting and rioting versus the the police officer that yeah. killed this man. Because I and see that's these what's coming on the news more Correct. frequently. Like, oh, they did this, or there's this strike, or Correct. that. It's like. Talk about the incident and why yeah. it's happening and how you can improve. Yeah. And I say to them all the time, if you guys want to refer to rioting and looting, we could talk about a few things. We could talk about, you know, uh, white youth who in America, they win a, a, a hockey championship game or something. They're rioting, turning over cars, setting cars on fire. Um, even even in throughout history, white people raped and pillaged Africa mm. for everything, rioting, going through, stealing everything. I mean, this is this is just like you know, there's a history of this. Mm -hmm. So it's like you know, um, you're more worried about things that can be replaced yep. versus lives being taken. Yep. It's ridiculous, mm -hmm. and it's like you know, um, they just don't get it, man. And um, I think people need to have a little bit of more understanding of education before commenting on these mm -hmm. topics because yep. these topics are very very sensitive and they're very um they're deep rooted to more than just one incident yeah. Yeah. and part of the problem is people think that education comes from the media and the media only like it's fueled by what goes on that's negative you know what i mean right so it gets fueled by the riots and the looting rather than yeah. the education and the history behind why yeah. everyone is actually rioting because a lot of people want to post what's going to go viral and what's going to get at people's attention same as the news they want to yeah. post things they're going to post boring information at least, even though it's informative and beneficial, exactly. they don't want to post what's beneficial. They want to post which can give a story. Your job is to give a story, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, that's not what the news should be. But that's yeah. what it is. Mm -hmm. That's why, like, that's where social media can come into play to kind of change that. Because social media is controlled by us. Yeah. The news isn't. Yeah. So we should be trying to use social media to benefit, spread awareness, yeah. sign petitions, yeah. and donate money, and you know, support yeah. our own kind of thing. And honestly, the younger generation, like our generation. Like, I've seen positive results with it. Like, I was having a chat with one of my friends that was white. Um, what's it called? And her family is Persian. And she was explaining how her mother and father watched the news. And she's also watched the news. They've yeah. both obviously been exposed to the news. And the way that she sees and the way that um, it's called they see is completely different. They think is, why are all these black people, why are all these Americans rioting and looting all these places? And she's thinking about, like, do you not understand the history? You know what I mean? And you got to have that open mind. But uh, people people forget that these kind of things are these media outlets are crowd and people control like they are trying to control the masses of a certain audience. Mm. So it's crowd and people control and, 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 you know, they control what they want people to see because people become zombies. People watch the news and that's all they, they know. They think that the news has, has given them 
accurate information. Mm-hmm. That's what they're going to go off of. So, I mean, and that's fair enough. If that's that's people on the source of of, of um, understanding a certain topic, but I mean, it's it's when it comes to this particular topic, mm-hmm. it's far deeper than just George Floyd is just one example of the oppression we've been facing. Yeah, and it might not even be time. the worst for us with my own eyes. It's the worst I've seen, but there could be countless cases that I've never even heard of or never even been recorded. Which all of all of them are counting the death. It always bad. Yeah, yeah, brother. It death, death is death. Yeah. Yeah. We just had, um, and, and and this is this long list. We just had. Um, there was a brother by the name of James Bird. You can look him up. James Bird was a was a, um, a, a, a middle aged man from Texas. Man, he was he was grabbed by by two white supremacists who um, beat him up, chained him to a back of a pickup truck, and drove him until they dismantled his body parts. These men were just really like sentenced not long ago, uh, just a few years ago. So if these kind of things are happening in the, in the year two thousands, brother, like you know, come on, man, mm. like that's beyond inhumane. That's beyond like inhumane. That's so, so that's you know, these things are, are bad, man. These things are very, very. The ideology mm. has to be, be so disintegrated. For us here, like because we're not in America, and we don't yeah. fully comprehend. We can try to do the best we can because we have to be empathetic and. What can we do here that can at least improve the situation? Because obviously we're going to try to do our best and us at Fair Dinkum, we know we're going to keep pushing for this because yeah. we know, unfortunately, we're in a generation of trends. People forget about things very frequently. You know, our memory isn't the yeah. best. So our, our goal is to make that not happen as long as we can. So how can we even try to do something? Like what can we really do it long term? Like what's something that can... Individually, yeah. as communities, um, individually, community, yeah. as a family. It's the same thing as before we spoke about like teaching your family. Yeah. But now we want to do beyond this. We want to actually make a difference. Yeah, I think that's great, man. I think the the, the solidarity and um, I'm I'm past symbolisms and, and tokenisms, man. I need action, you know. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, I'm 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 very pleased with people who want to post something on Facebook and say, you know, love wins and all these kind of <laughs> references and symbolisms but they they really amount to nothing because there's no action involved mm. so for me i think the most important thing is to start with um educating yourselves a bit on the things that i, I named about black history like understanding how severe the atlantic slave trade was how mm. understanding more about civil rights and um, all of the things that i listed which which will give you an idea of how the system was built and how the system is now ideology and then i think just um constantly like um sharing with your your peers uh, about these things and mm. these topics come up and uh you know you don't have to wave the flag for black people but just if you educate it you you can kind of like teach others mm. and you can kind of like be able to speak firmly on these topics without um mm-hmm. just the mm. media teaching you about because racism is taught at the end of the day yeah, yeah. and so even just having these type of discussions where at least opened your horizon. Next time you can talk about, you know, Atlantic slave trade. Yeah. Just learning. Yeah, hundred percent. I found out the other day. It's weird. Everything on Twitter, whatever. But <laughs> um, the pencil we all used to draw in pencil in art class and stuff, and the color for skin color was a light like pink orange tone. You know what I mean? And that's like institutionalized racism, where it's taught where your skin color or the the normal skin color is that white color, rather than the black color and this other color. You know what I mean? I'm like, it all started at a young age. So if we if we have kids, inshallah, in the future, or we have younger siblings, we teach them about this little stuff. Yeah. So then when they teach get older, young. they don't discriminate or they don't 
oppress other people you or teach other them cultures. Get, there's this good book, Childhood Champions. Got a couple <laughs> coming out. <laughs> yeah, man. Where can, they get, where can people get this? Let me see. So it's three of them, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so, so basically, um, the book series, Childhood Champions, man, we're, we're available on all platforms. Amazon is the best way. Um, each book is you know, available on Amazon. You can grab the books. Our, our social media is simply childhoodchampions.com. How about your social media? Um, mine is uh, George Green Journey. And, um, yeah, my, my Instagram. some giveaway, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> giveaway coming? So, so yeah, the Childhood Champions, man, we are, we are in the process of uh, preparing to release book number four. Yeah, and um, Inshallah. So yeah, we we we're in the business of. Um, no, I'll make it easy for you. Inshallah, I mean, thank you. So we're in the we're in the business of trying to, um, you know, put out some beautiful content for our, our young, ethnic Muslim mm-hmm. audience, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about what's in the future. You can see you're passionate about it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's very excited. Good. Yeah. Thank you, bro. So I'd love my little siblings to read that. You know what I mean? Because my little sister watches. All these Barbie doll YouTube and that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I rather her look up to like Zaki or Childhood Champions, yeah. and you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So it's good, man. It's good when the Muslims can support the Muslims, you know. Especially yeah. like there's Barbie, which is mainstream, but Muslims are a minority, you know. Unfortunately, like in the West, that's what it is. So it's good if you can have like Muslim role models to look up to, you know. Mm. Even you in the youth, mashallah, mashallah, yeah. this project can benefit people as well. Mashallah. So we're here yeah, for. Thank you guys so much too for you know inviting me on the show. Alhamdulillah, it was a pleasure. Alhamdulillah. Thank you, man. I appreciate you guys. And, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Apparently, <laughs> what's that? you're related to a superstar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Say his name for us. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm related to Danny Green from the Los Angeles Lakers. He's my cousin. And, mm. uh, yeah, yeah. We're pretty close and uh, really proud of him. I'm really happy for his success. He's an incredible, um, humble, hardworking brother. It was a long, hard fought, fought road mm. for him. Too. It was, yeah. wasn't easy, man. So, you know, he's uh, he's a gun, man. Yeah, he, 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 we're very proud of him. Man. Have has he um, asked anything about Islam? Man, you know what? Nah, it would be interesting to, you know. Yeah, Danny is uh, Danny is really um, he has a lot of Muslim friends, man, and, and including me as his family. Mm. But he doesn't really, you know. Get get involved with yeah. them. He stay away from those kind of things. Yeah. Especially lifestyle too, yeah. culture, yeah. you know, situation in life right now. You could be even very driven and focused yeah. on one thing. Yeah. It's very hard to start shifting and finding out. You know, yeah, yeah. that's he, an he internal battle. He's a man of God, man. He believes in God. You know, he just doing his thing. He just stay. He's pretty humble, low key. And, uh, he's but a hard worker too. Yeah, he's a hard worker. But he 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 has a lot of friends of all ethnic backgrounds. Um, uh, religions. Uh, some of his closest friends are Muslim and his cousin. So, Alhamdulillah. Yeah. I, mean, I need to ask for one favor. Sorry. Yeah. If he does come to Australia, can you hook us up with that? <laughs> <laughs> nah, if he ever makes it out to Australia, I'll definitely uh, reach out and maybe see if we can get him on the show. Inshallah. That sounds good. Yeah. Like, uh, obviously him, but like the, the main goal is eventually like LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to, it's about two degrees of separation now. Yeah. I've never even met LeBron yet. I've seen him though when I've gone to the games, but yeah. Actually, you know what I did? I, I met LeBron James briefly when he he was in high school still. But Damn. That was just random. Yeah. Damn, early days. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you were there from day one, eh? Yeah, <laughs> actually, it was it was a it was a random meeting I did. But as as a as a NBA player and standing next to my cousin, I, I 
I've just seen him like. Did you used to play? Used to play M- NBA? For me? Yeah, no, no, no. As uh, him, yeah. Before LeBron made yeah. it to the NBA, I um I had a you know I, s- I met him briefly, and then when he played, my cousin was drafted to the to the Cavaliers, mm-hmm. and um they played together. Mm-hmm. Now they're back playing together. So when I've gone to when my cousin played for the Spurs, mm-hmm. I've gone to Spurs game when they've played each other. But I I've seen LeBron oh. there. Because he, j- he just came like to him. Yeah, less exactly. than a year ago, he just joined LeBron. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was Spurs for years. Correct. Pop yeah. loved him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You play basketball? I do. Yeah. Uh, any other sports? Yeah, baseball, basketball. Yeah. American yeah. sports. I play a lot of uh, flag football too. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no barging and hitting. Nah, each other, man, I couldn't take that ta- contact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Just yeah. a quick question. Um, I have you on Instagram. I follow you, and I've yeah. seen that you've traveled a lot. How's your travel experience been? And where have you been? Oh, you know what? I've alhamdulillah, I've been fortunate to travel all over the world. I've traveled to more than eighty countries. Eighty? Yeah. Name all of them. Why didn't we talk about Australia? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've I've gone to more than eighty countries. Um, I've been fortunate to see the world a bit. I've been to all fifty states more than once. Um, oh my god! I met the yeah. imams of the Haram. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Where's so your favorite place in the world? You know what, three, I, I have so many places that I've enjoyed traveling to. South Africa was one of my favorites. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> South Africa was one of my favorites. I thought so. It's just so rich in history. So, uh, so stunning, man. When it's did you beautiful. go? Um, I can't remember. I want to say maybe that might have been maybe 2010 or something. World Cup. Something like that. I don't remember, but I've I've gone to to um, quite a few, man. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. What other countries? Did where'd you go in South Africa? Joburg yeah. and Cape Town. Alhamdulillah. So yeah, yeah. that's yeah. nice. I had a chance to do a little bit. Yeah, I want to go back there one day. It's just the history is incredible. Yeah, it was really Mandela, the apartheid. Did you go? Did you go to where the like um a hundred memorial people are in nah, Joburg? I okay. didn't. I, yeah. There's quite a few things I didn't get to yeah. do. I wanted to do and um so 80 countries is a lot <laughs> yeah and some of i can't even remember man i'm on like my third passport or something now is it in your top three like or at least I wa- oh egypt Egypt's egypt nice? is one of my egypt top countries man <laughs> yeah that's egypt is okay. great so egypt is pretty good that's uh, history rich as well yeah. history is that is history. too much history yeah, yeah. Subhanallah. honestly like you know I have to say, (laughs) 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 I have to say, you know, like uh, Mecca and Medina, man. Alhamdulillah. They might might even be like my number one. Nah, it is number one, yeah. Yeah, because Medina just gives you such a like. Tranquility, yeah. Yeah, Medina, Mm. bro, it's unexplainable, man. Like Mecca, like the only thing with Mecca is like outside of like the Haram, like it's so like, it's, it's like. I was shocked to see the, the um the begging the begging the poor it's people d- the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the quality yeah, of life. I was life. shocked, bro. The alleyways in that. Yeah, yeah. Alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed me. I was fortunate to make Hajj in 2013. Alhamdulillah, and I was fortunate to do a couple of Umbras too. So um yeah, I've been fortunate. Allah has been been merciful and smiled upon me, man, on some dates in Islam. So, um, Alhamdulillah. May Allah continue to, you know, um, bless me, man, and grant me another invitation to his house, inshallah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so Mecca, Medina, South Africa. Mm. Um, I'm 
gone to some cool places, man. Like Traveling's good. Yeah, we always, we're talking good. about the Fed Income Boys wanting to do some travel. Yeah. Now the borders but are closed. To be honest, wants to. I've even really enjoyed a lot of like um, poor third world countries because it's like it really puts things in perspective. Mm. You really get to um, appreciate things and you see how hum- hum- like the humility and people who don't have much. They're very humble. They're very mm. grateful. They're very, they don't know anything else. Like they're, Kids playing in dirt with like beat up, almost busted up soccer balls. And they and have like a bigger smile than even like me, unfortunately. Yeah. It's just the way they live. It's, it's great, bro. So thir- some of the third world countries I've gone to have been um, just as like incredible of the experience. Like, like here in Asia, or you went South yeah. America. Where did you go? Um, I've gone to South America. I've gone to Brazil a few times. I've gone to. Uh, Chile a few times. I've yeah. gone to. Uh, That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've gone to uh, quite a few. Because uh, actually, um, Che Guevara is buried in Chile. I think where I was at. Um, Do shake. You don't know who Che Guevara is? Oh, that's for. We'll, we'll act like we know, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's for another another conversation. Then Che Guevara, he was um, you know a part of the Cuban Revolution. Okay. Um, I'll explain it another yeah. time. Yeah. All I know is Everybody's Cold, Cold War like Cuban <laughs> Missile Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple pages on it in a book. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, like um, some of these countries, bro, they just like you, you, you appreciate the, mm. the, um, the people just being so welcoming and so humbled and so just kind of grateful mm-hmm. to have they don't have anything. It's crazy. So, mm. so, yeah, I mean, honestly, man, I've been to a lot of places, though. I'm mm. just, man. I've been to Iraq and Kuwait too. I was um, working with a partnership with the U.S. government, well, not the government, but the U.S. Army, mm. um, part of the upliftment on the morale for the troops. Mashallah. So I was doing that for a few years That's too. Good. Through, yeah. That's interesting. So yeah, yeah both. So h- how do you find um, like traveling for that purpose, that kind of business, going to the army bases, that kind of thing? That was beautiful, man. It was an incredible experience. Um, you know, you really get to uh, see what a lot of the troops go through man like you know my family i come from a military family as well okay. my uh my cousins and uncles they were army rangers marines so um i have Dave a high Goggins, respect i have such an incredible <laughs> respect for for soldiers man like you know um is it you go to these countries strictly on the basis of work yeah work yeah basically you're part of a team you're helping bring a part of home to the soldiers to uplift their morale mm. and lift their spirits because a lot of the soldiers, man, they... They're away from home for years. And they experience a lot of PTSD, a lot of suicides, a lot of, of depression. Course. So you're a part of teams that's helping to uplift them. Oh. Stuff. Yeah. So What's your particular job title for, for people that, that are... Right now? That are listening, as in the, oh. that job title. Um, what is that? Is that like a the honestly, motivational speaker for them? or <laughs> I don't even remember, to be honest, man. It was, it was kind of like a vague general general thing but your your role and purpose is to uplift bring a peak piece of home to the soldiers to help uplift their morale in terms of like um you know because a lot of them are dealing with the PTSD and the suicide and depression yeah. they see a lot so so you're part of that campaign to help keep them happy and mm. you know give them something else outside of I don't know that existed yeah, yeah. it's yeah. logical it's I, s- I see why it exists yeah. it must be very rewarding yeah, it's rewarding, mashallah, man. So, uh, it's, but it's, you know, being in those situations is still a bit uncomfortable. But mm. 
because you 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 at that time I was actively in a war zone. Like mm. I, was, <laughs> I was, you know, but but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't fun, and it was a lot of um. It wasn't it wasn't uh, safe, but the soldiers were great. Like the soldiers really like go through a lot, and um, uh, I I come from a military family, so so I was just like able to appreciate that. Like yeah. wow, like. These brothers and sisters yeah. do a lot, man. Yeah, the connection. Yeah. Yeah. They go through a lot. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. It's a worthy cause. Yeah. But we do have to finish it off here. Ooh, it's nice. very nice to have you on. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. It meant a lot to all of us. Yeah. Uh, quick promo for this. Yeah. <laughs> Childhood much. Champions. Yeah. Where can we find it? Childhoodchampions.com or um, Childhood Champions on Instagram or, or Childhood Champions on Facebook. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, thanks very much, George. Thanks, guys. Inshallah. 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 Oh, man. That was, Boom. that was cool, man. Alhamdulillah. Boom. Alhamdulillah.